Hello and welcome to another episode of the Woot and Why Show. I am Josh Why. No Woot again with us while he's still away on holidays. Uh, so we have a series of interviews and guest hosts lined up in his absence. And today I'm speaking with Doug Farrar of Bleacher Report. He's the head of the NFL 1000 team that do really great work throughout the season. And he's one of my favorite writers. Um, I've been following him since his days at Sports Illustrated. And he's made the switch over to Bleacher Report and put together a really strong team that's putting out some really good content. Um, throughout the season, and uh, Doug's been doing some really good stuff during the off-season. So uh, we speak to him about the off-season, the upcoming season, and a whole range of things. And I, I want to thank Doug for being very generous with his time. He, he devoted a good hour um, chatting with me, all things football. And he's just a very intelligent guy that that understands and, and can relate the X's and O's in layman's terms and, and, and relate it to personnel moves and, and, and really good analysis of football. So I really enjoyed speaking with Doug Farrar and... Uh, Let's get him on the hotline bling and, and get rolling. Alright, joining me on the line is the NFL lead scout for Bleacher Report. Um, according to his Twitter account, he's a home office linebacker and an occasional musician as well. Uh, he is uh, sort of the the head honcho of the NFL 1000, they're ramping up for season two of that on Bleacher Report, and that is Doug Farrar. You can follow him on Twitter at BR underscore Doug Farrar. Welcome to the Wooten Wire Show, and very uh, thankful for joining us. I, uh, I really appreciate you. One of my favorite NFL writers. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I'm very jealous that you're in I've always wanted to go to Australia, so I'm very jealous that you're there. <laughs> well, I, I just finished speaking to uh, Shannon Furman from NFL Films, and that's she mentioned Australia is on her bucket list as well, and I said to her that drinks are on us when she comes down. So I'll extend the same invitation to you, Doug, for whenever you want to come to Sydney, uh, please you get in touch with us and, and we'll buy you a few drinks. Perfect. Well, yeah, Shannon's awesome. I'm eager to hear that uh, part of the podcast as well. Yep, it's sweet. And uh, before we get started, and we'll talk about sort of Season 2 of NFL 1000, uh, for anyone that's not too familiar with, with you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your football fandom, and and how you got into your into your field in, in terms of covering the NFL? Yeah, I didn't expect to do this. Um, when I, <laughs> I yeah, my Twitter bio says occasional musician. In my teens and twenties, I wanted to be a rock star, and I made two albums by myself. And wow. band came and went, and I was very very serious about that. And then when I hit thirty, I thought, eh, this isn't going to happen for you. And I didn't want to be one of those guys who woke up one day and was forty five and worked in a music store and you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I kind of took a hard left career-wise, and yeah, I actually yeah. ran my own web design firm in the um, in the late '90s, and then the dot bomb thing happened over here, and I sort of informally got into sports writing because I was uh, complaining about our local baseball team, the Seattle Mariners, uh, <laughs> which you know. Along many years later, the, the complaints are still unfortunately uh, worthy and applicable. Yeah, um, and I started writing for this uh, site called Seahawks.net, which was a Seahawks fan site. And then in 2004, 
I started to dialogue with Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders because I was a Bill James guy growing up, bought all the baseball abstracts. Yep. And football was my sport, even over baseball, obviously. And then, like, oh my God, somebody mixed Bill James with football, with the NFL. At the same time, I had picked up the book Moneyball, and that was a life altering experience as well. Yep. So I, yeah, Football Outsiders. I I did some spec work for them in 2005 because that was the year the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, and they didn't have anyone on the West Coast. And then in 2006, I became a staff writer, which led to all sorts of opportunities. Uh, in 2009, uh, Yahoo went after Bill Barnwell, who's now at ESPN and was yep. then, and he didn't write for both. So he recommended me, and I became full-time at Yahoo in 2009. Oh, wow. Uh, 2013, Yahoo laid me off because I wouldn't move to Los Angeles. I'd already lived in Los Angeles, so I knew what no, that Not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, so I, was, I found myself betwixt and between. reached out to a friend of mine, Tom Mazzaranis, who I had talked about. You know, we had talked about music on Twitter, both Clash fans and stuff like that. Yep. And... I said, look, I don't have a job, and the season's starting in like a month. Do you have anything? And he said, yeah, we need someone for, our, for uh, the Audible blog. So from 2013 through last July, uh, about a year ago, I was with Sports Illustrated. Yep. And then uh, Dylan McNamara at Bleacher Report reached out to me and said, we have this project at BR and we think you might be the guy. And that was the continuation of NFL 1000, which Matt Miller, our draft guy, started years ago yep. as kind of a year, an annual thing. And then now they wanted to make it a weekly thing, bring out a bunch of scouts and do that. And once I heard about that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to you know, watch tape and write about it. And you're going to pay me money for that? Uh, twist my arm. Where do I so sign? That's yeah. That, Exactly. That's a good transition into my next topic, which was the NFL 1000. And, you know, you you kind of hit on it and explained what it is. But for anyone that missed your initial post for for Bleacher Report, could you briefly explain sort of the NFL 1000 and what you guys are doing for Bleacher Report? Yeah, it's it's somewhat similar to and somewhat different than what Football Outsiders does and what Pro Football Focus does. Um, in that I think all three are sort of quote unquote scouting services. And I'm always reluctant to call myself a scout because I've never worked for a team. And I think that's a important delineation, but you know, what we do, what those guys do, it's, it's heavy tape. It's a lot of analysis. There's some charting involved on our end, but we lean heavily on PFF and FO for that stuff. And basically uh, year one, it was 17 scouts, including me, watching every play and ranking every player who played at every position every single week, collating that together, writing, you know, intros for it, writing separate articles for it. And I mean, it was, it was crazy because we had to hire all those scouts. We had like a month of ramp up time before the season started. We had to hire the scouts. We had to create the protocol. We had to kind of decide how it was all going to work. Um, and because of our editors, Colin McCullough and Ian Kenyon, more than me, it all worked out because the guys, I mean, Colin and Ian have carried the weight of it, you know, yep. the, the editorial, the back-end weight. Ian in particular is just a, a monster at that. So um, we got it going and had a successful first season, and we have some changes that I can't quite talk about yet that no. I'm very excited about. It'll be a little different in 2017. 
but we're just we're uh, going through the planning stages now, and I'm of course very excited for it to start up again. Yeah, I'm, I am too. I, I really enjoyed the NFL 1000, and I will admit to you, Doug, that I was a bit of a Bleacher Report skeptic for a long time. My co-host, who's who's away at the moment, he he loves Bleacher Report, but over the last sort of 18 months, I feel like Bleacher Report's come a long way, and I I really enjoyed the work of NFL 1000 and. Uh, and a lot of the uh, the team that you put together are people I've long followed on Twitter, and uh, I think you put together a really, really good team. Uh, what was the most surprising thing you, you learnt sort of in year one doing that NFL 1000? You know, it's interesting. and I, I mean, it, it wasn't really a series of faults. I, I don't want to – because this could come out the wrong way, and I could say I'm blaming the scouts. <laughs> I'm just as guilty of this as anyone. But I remember talking to Gil Brandt. Uh, we did a long interview. I sort of uh, collared him during the Super Bowl week in San Francisco. And we sat down for about an hour, and, and I was doing this thing about technology in the NFL for Sports Illustrated. And he was talking about you know computerization with the Cowboys in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he mentioned, and I've always had this in my mind since, is that one of the things we did is that we scouted our scouts and we knew that these guys all had particular biases and they all had sort of things they leaned on. Yep. Um, they might score certain things more highly than other people might. And, and, and that's just human nature. Everyone has yeah. things they like and don't like and maybe pay attention to a little too much and maybe not enough. And when you have, you know, 16, 17 people, it, the thing I learned the most was, to and it, it's more about human nature than scouting really yeah. it's just kind of looking at everyone's purview and saying okay this guy values this so maybe let's talk to him about looking at this a little bit more okay and you know because some guys i mean some guys like the laser rocket arms of quarterbacks they might not look at the subtlety some guys love you know face smashing run blockers and they don't really look at pass sets. And yep. again, I'm not saying specifically anyone in our organization, but just in general. I mean, some of the analysts I respect, um, Russ Landy, who has done GM Jr. and has worked for multiple NFL teams. Yep. Uh, Russ and I talk at the Combine every year and we joke that we respect each other's opinions and we usually could not disagree with each other more about <laughs> our evaluation. Um, so, I, I mean... What I learned is what I already knew, and it really reinforced it. As long as your method is sound, that's okay, but you'd better be able to explain it, and you'd better be able to understand and take constructive criticism as to the things you might be missing or focusing too much on. That's a constant process for any analyst in any profession, whether you're analyzing financial trends or football players. I think that's the thing I took away most. Yeah, it's it, no matter you know you, you're gonna get bias. It's just so hard to eliminate bias. It's, it's just always going yeah. to be there, and in terms of what people like and dislike. So uh, in terms of criticism, I know uh, a lot of sport writers get this, and I'm sort of going off topic. How often do you get told to stick to sports on a daily basis? Um, it's hard to tell because generally when people tell me to stick to sports on Twitter, they get blocked. Fair enough. Uh, Good decision. So if, they, if they keep doing it, I don't tend to notice. And yeah. yeah the, the feed is political. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will, I, I will endeavor during the season to try and stick more football in there. Oh, no, it's your Twitter you account. Know, you tweet- last, let's put it this way. <laughs> last September, last October, I thought, well, if not now, when? Because good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's your Twitter account. Like, if people don't want to follow, it's very simple. Just hit the unfollow button. So I, uh, you know, I I enjoy a lot of uh, a lot of your tweets. Uh, it's very good. Let's let's move to uh, off season um, before we look ahead at the 2017 season. Uh, what teams do you think sort of had the best off season overall in terms of of all their acquisitions, sort of across the board? When you look at the front office, coaching, free agency, and and the draft. This is going to get really annoying, <laughs> but <laughs> the rich have gotten richer, my friend. Um, I. Yep. And it's funny, I just finished a tape piece on Mike Gillisley, who I think is by far the most underrated player in the NFL, much less running back. Okay. And the fact that they had him for two years, six million, and a fifth-round pick to the Bills. But, I mean, he turned – okay, they turned a first-round pick into Brandon Cooks. They turned a second-round pick into Coney Ely, who fits perfectly in their defense. Yep. Uh, Fourth-round pick into Dwayne Allen. They got Gillisley, who I think will be their best running back since Corey Dillon. You can mark my words on wow. that and make it a focus. I just guys. missed him in the Scott Fishbowl. I'm not happy. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, to, to bring on Stephon Gilmore, and the, the one thing, I mean, the Patriots, and when we talk about schemes, the Patriots' use of the big nickel last year with Chung and McCourty and Duran Harmon was a real, I mean, especially in the Super Bowl, it was a real staple to that championship. But to then bring in a guy like Stephon Gilmore, a legitimate number one shutdown corner, which all due respect to Malcolm Butler, they yep. really didn't have last year. Um, and when you bring in Brandon Cooks on the other side, I, tell me who has a better receiver core with everyone healthy, of course, in Gronk's case, but who has a better receiver core on paper? than the Patriots right now. No one. Uh, they bring back, I mean, they bring back Skarnecchia last year to replace uh, DeGaliemo, who had some coaching issues, I think, on the offensive line. And all of a sudden, everything just snapped into place. So, yep. I mean, I, I, I don't know who had a better offseason. Yep. Um, you know, I look at uh, – I'm really interested to see what the Panthers do with uh, Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel. Yep. Um, love that. I, you know, I, the Matt Khalil signing mystifies me. I guess they figure two Khalils are better than one, and I know that one Khalil is much better than the other. Yep. Um, <laughs> really, and I'm interested to see. I mean, sabermetrics and football, it, it's been a fractious relationship, and it's easy to praise a team when they have three first round picks. But I like everything the Browns have done. Yep. Um, Kevin Zeitler really great guard. I think JC Treader is the most, one of the two or three most underrated centers in football. He's had injury issues, but very mobile guy. I mean, Miles Garrett, the, uh, you know, the top pick is the guy everyone talks about Jabril Peppers um, in Greg Williams's defense. He'll play that Mark Barron role. Love that. Uh, yep. David Njoku, really good tight end, really a, a great athlete. Um, the Brock Osweiler thing, I don't know, but Deshaun Kaiser, you give him a couple of years with that coaching staff and he might turn into something. I think the Browns did really well. Yep. Uh, I think the Colts did well, both in free agency and in the draft. And probably the best free agent signing of the year was Chris Ballard over Ryan Grigson. Thank God. Because, you know, that didn't go well. Yep. And, you know, certainly I think the Titans – have John Robinson, their general manager, does not get nearly enough credit for the team he's put together. And of course, the Buccaneers with Deshaun Jackson. I mean, 
if you're going to ask me, I'll just do a preemptive answer right now. The free agent and team matchup I'm most looking forward to seeing is Deshaun Jackson in that particular offense yep. with Jameis Winston at quarterback because I did a tape piece on Jackson and with the Buccaneers a couple months ago, and I'm watching Winston just spray the ball all over the place on deep passes. Deshaun Jackson, not only when he catches the ball, he's a factor, but he bends coverage. Yep. He forces you to do things you don't want to do in your secondary just because of his amazing speed and route running ability. So, yeah, th- those are the teams I think, okay, you guys are pretty much on the ball here. Yeah, and uh, on the Patriots as well, not only, like, adding all that talent, like, even in the draft, like, 31 teams let Derek Rivers just fall to, to, into the Patriots' lap, it, it, and they traded back, and they still yeah. still managed to land this guy who many thought should have gone in the top 50. Uh, it That was a truly yeah. baffling decision. Yeah, um, I. It, that's one of those draft picks we almost expect Goodell to suspend the Patriots just because. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump ahead and then I come. Give it away with this. We're going to, you know, Ted Rivers is going to have to look into that. I think <laughs> a uh, comprehensive 500 page report on the Derek Rivers uh, Patriots selection is definitely in order. Um, we need some juice this offseason. There isn't enough. It's all NBA at the moment, so maybe maybe Ted Wells and Goodell could cook up something. I'm going to jump ahead and then come back because you did sort of mention the Patriots. Um, is, is there a team that, you know, is there, I don't know, can anyone stop the Patriots? Like, is there anyone in your right mind that you think on a one-game sample size in the playoffs could beat the Patriots? Because for me, it looks like, you're just penciling them in right now as the Super Bowl champions because I look across at their at their roster and what they have on paper and they have the greatest coach of all time. It I, I honestly think they could make the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe win at least 10 games with, with Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback. That's how loaded their roster is. You know, the interesting thing about them, and I remember doing a tape piece on Brissett when they had to play him, uh, especially against the Texans, and they introduced read option elements that I don't think Belichick had ever shown because he's never really had a mobile quarterback. And I'm thinking, this is, you know, that's that's Bill. That's what he does. Yep. Um, as far as, you know, you're going to have to do a few things. And the Texans, actually, in the playoffs, the Texans played the Patriots close for a while. They disguised their coverages very well. Brady's one kryptonite is if you rush him right up the middle between the guards because he doesn't like to move side to side. He likes to step up in the pocket. It's harder to do because their offensive line is, of course, much much more efficient when Dante Skarnakia is coaching them. So you have to look at a team that can get pressure up the middle. Um, I think Seattle has the capability to do it. I think Kansas City on the right day has the capability to do it. Um, I look at Dallas as a maybe, um, but, and the thing is, you're not going to outshoot them. You're not going to outthink them. You have to take away the things that they do well. You have to take the Belichick theory and turn it against him. You have to take away the one, so you have to negate Brady. You have to force him to throw short. You have to, you know, do what the Giants did in those two Super Bowls do what Seattle did in, in the first half of Super Bowl 49. I mean, especially before Cliff Averill got hurt. I, I, you know, I, I talked to their offensive line coach, uh, Dave Guglielmo, during media day, and he said, is there anyone on Seattle's defense that you just don't have an answer for? And he said, yeah, Michael Bennett. He compared Michael Bennett to Reggie White, which I kind of went, whoa. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and then if you've watched the NFL films, the sideline <clears throat> sound, I mean, they, they were saying in the first half of the game, we don't have an answer for Bennett. And part of that's because Bennett's an awesome player. Part of it's because he plays end and tackle. He played the first four snaps of that game. I think this is instructive into how to set the Patriots off if you have such a player who can do this. Yep. But swear to God, and go back and watch this. The first four Patriots offensive snaps, Bennett lined up at left defensive end, left defensive tackle, right defensive tackle, right defensive end. Amazing. Pete Carroll was trying to make a point. <laughs> Same way with Justin talking all those NASCAR fronts and the two Super Bowls the Giants won. Yep. You have to affect Brady's calls at the line, and you have to beat him up the middle. That's about your only shot. So the teams that can do that on any given Sunday or whatever, but, you know, 70 times out of 100, is anyone going to beat them? No, not not the way they're set up. No, exactly. And uh, I'll, I'll double back into the off-season, off-season talk, and you mentioned that you particularly love the Browns draft and you're interested to see what the, page, uh, the Panthers do with their two early draft picks. And you mentioned that, that free agent fit of – uh, you know, uh, to Sean Jackson with Jameis Winston, and uh, often overlooked as well was uh, Chris Baker going to to the Tampa Bay Bucks as well, which I I, I enjoyed that yep. pairing with with uh, uh, Gerald McCoy, and we'll we'll see those two on Hard Knocks uh, coming up uh, this off season. Yeah, and and the Redskins replaced him with two kind of average guys who cost more. That that they're going to regret that. Yeah, that was a that was a sort of a chin scratching move from the Redskins. I didn't I didn't quite like their off season uh, too much at all. Uh, is there any other free agent fits you know paired with another player that you love outside of outside of Winston and, yeah. and Deshaun? Uh, let me see here. Sorry to put you on the spot because you already had that answer. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm just. <laughs> I'd say that's that's the big one I'd stick yeah. with. All right, um, we'll, we'll move on to the next one in terms of sort of a a player coach combination heading into 2017. In terms of a, a and now a player working under a new coach or coordinator, is there any that you're really excited to watch? In, you know, in 2017, uh, there are two, and they're both on the same team, Ooh. and they're both now with the Rams. Okay. Uh, Sean McVay was responsible for a lot of the deep vertical passing concepts that got Kirk Cousins into a position where he's going to make a lot more money than he should, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And as much as Jay Gruden is sort of the mastermind of that offense, Sean McVay is one of the brightest offensive minds in the NFL, and really it couldn't get any worse than it was last year. I mean, when you – Todd Gurley, I thought, was the best collegiate running back since Adrian Peterson. Now he's fully healthy. And when you find a way to make Todd Gurley disappear, yep. that's a remarkable act of coaching and scheming and planning ineptitude. Now, I'm not a big fan. I mean, I don't, I don't say I'm a big fan of Jared Goff. I thought Goff, coming out of Cal, based on tape I saw, was a two- or three-year project. This is year two. He looked completely outmatched in year one. I think what McVay is going to do with Goff is shorten the playbook, let him do the stuff he can handle, um, you know, especially with that offensive line. Whitworth helps. You know, they've got some decent – Cooper Cup is a high-volume receiver, although not spectacular. Um, 
and they're going to lean on Gurley, and he'll find openings for Gurley. And then all I have to say about Wade Phillips is, okay, imagine Wade Phillips in Denver made stars out of guys like Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson. Yeah. Can you imagine the hell he's been unleashed with Aaron Donald? Yeah, he was. Oh, the, my God. That was the first first combo I put down was Aaron Donald and Wade Phillips, and that was kind of what I wanted to get from you in terms of that question is you to, to, to expand on that. I, I, I honestly can't wait. And, and I mentioned just speaking with Shannon Furman, Aaron Donald on All or Nothing was an absolute machine. And now under Wade Phillips, it's going to be just like, oh, like he's already like when you look at his stats, he's up there at JJ Watt levels of production. And if he could go even higher than that, I don't know what, what we're talking about here in terms of uh, like history in terms of Aaron Donald and where he stands. Well, I mean, because, of course, J.J. Uh, Watt had Wade early on, too. And yep. The thing about – and it, I always find it funny when people say, oh, well, Wade Phillips is a 3-4 guy, so how can he – no, Wade Phillips is a one-gap 3-4 guy. It's the same penetrating thing. And the Broncos played about, what, 60 65% nickel? And in their nickel package, that's a one-gap 4 5 mm-hmm. And occasionally they would play dime. And in that case, it's a, it's a four-man front – one gap attack principles. I have no question that that defense is, that's going to be a problem. And the NFC West, I think is going to be pretty competitive anyway, but, and they've got personnel issues. It's going to take a while to deal with, but I think it, you know, the two coaching hires that I think are most intriguing to me are those two. And, you know, Aaron Donald, in, in terms of week one, uh, Ryan Kelly's going to have his hands full, and, and Andrew Luck's got to be careful uh, in terms of uh, injuring that shoulder again with, with them. Do you, do you see him having upwards of 15 sacks, Aaron Donald, or are we talking more? Is the is the sack total in, in, in danger, or is it more just constant pressure? He might not. It might be other players getting those sacks, but still he's going to be in quarterback's face a lot more than we expect. Um... Yeah, as much as he gets double teamed, and Wade has schematic ways around double teams, as much as Aaron Donald is the focus of every opposing offensive line, um, and by the way, there are some crap offensive lines in the NFC West, starting with one in my hometown of Seattle. Yep. Um, Donald, you know, Donald might get 10 sacks, but he might get 80 quarterback hurries. And I'm not exaggerating. He had like. He had like 70 last year for okay. pro football focus. So it's the, it's the total pressure, and it's what he allows other guys to do. Yeah. Um, conversely, I think Kyle Shanahan was by far the best assistant coach in the NFL last year. Um, I think he's the best offensive man in the league. His pre-snap stuff blows my mind. Yep. And while I think it's going to be a long development in San Francisco, um, I'm pretty familiar with Steve Sarkeesian's work. Uh, you know, we'll see if he kind of adheres to what Shanahan did or how he'll change it. But I, I, you could see some regression there. Just and it's not anything against Sarkeesian. He could he could design a top ten scheme and it would still be nine behind what Shanahan did. So okay. if I'm looking at a team that might have a little fallback down the mountain, it's inevitable because I think Shanahan has just gotten to the point where he's you know, he's the guy when it comes to that. And uh, I mean, I, I think I, from memory, he Shanahan was in your uh, best offensive schemes article. I can't remember where he ranked. He was number, he was number one. Number one. Yeah. Okay. I was trying. I thought he yeah. was. I thought he was in the top two at, at least. So uh, 
yeah, it, it it's going to be. Uh, it, it's, it seems like when he when these sort of coaches become head coaches, that their best assets taken away from them because now they have too much on their plate. So it depends on how much input he's going to have into the offense. Uh, obviously, we don't know what that's going to be. Uh, another player coach combination that I particularly uh, am looking forward to seeing is Anthony Lynn. Uh, in the charges with Melvin Gordon and the two the two guards that they drafted um, in the middle rounds, yeah. um, I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, uh, season for them, given what Lynn did for Lashawn McCoy in Buffalo last year. Right, and that's you know it's an it's a really fascinating run game because Lynn did Lynn did a lot of the stuff that Greg Roman did, but Roman is more of a gap man to man power counter trap old school guy. Mm-hmm. Lynn brought in a lot of zone slides and things like that, so you're going to see all kinds of stuff um, with the charges there. I, I would agree with that. It's going to be good for Melvin Gordon. It's going to be great for Philip Rivers. Um, that whole offense needs to calm down a little bit. I think Lynn is a good guy for that. But as you, I mean, as you said, and it's always something to watch for when the assistant coach becomes the CEO. Some guys just can't do it. North Turner, Wade Phillips, whoever. Um, we'll see how that goes. I think Kyle Shanahan's ready. Anthony Lynn, I don't know enough about his history, but certainly he did a marvelous job with Buffalo's running game last year. It, it seemed like the, the Chargers offense was a little bit frazzled or panicked or in a hurry all the time with Mike McCoy. But now Mike McCoy, obviously, going back to an offensive coordinator role, do you think he'll have a uh, positive impact on, on the Broncos quarterback? You know, he turned Tim Tebow into an NFL quarterback for about six months. That was his, it was his first read offense that kind of did that. So if he can do that, um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, and that's an interesting because you have Trevor Simeon, who sort of above the neck has it all, and Paxton Lynch, who has every other attribute but is still learning the game and learning the speed of the game. Um, you know, that, I think that training camp battle is going, that could extend into the season. So it'll be a challenge for him. So they, the Broncos need a Frankenstein-like scientist to just merge Simeon and Lynch together, it sounds like. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, we'll we're, we're heading down that path in terms of sports science, so why not? Um, all right. So, looking ahead to the next season, uh, we already we already mentioned the Patriots. Uh, you know, speaking of the the most recent pieces you did for the NFL 1004 Bleacher Report on uh, off the best offensive and defensive schemes in the NFL right now. For people that don't follow the X's and O's too closely, and and I'm one of them. I'm still learning, and I'm on the rise. I'm a relatively new football fan in the grand scheme of things overall. Um, what are some of the biggest trends you've noticed, sort of? over the last couple of seasons on how offenses and defenses, you know, have, have developed or, or got more creative or innovative? Um, I, I think that the number one trend, and this is just in the last five years, and it's the, the percentage increase is very much in line on both sides of the ball. In the last five to 10 years, you've seen three receiver sets go from about 40% to 60%. It's no coincidence at all. But in that same time, you see nickel and dime defenses go from 40% to 60%. Okay. Uh, so, well, we used to call sub-package defenses. That's base. Nickel is a base defense. If nickel isn't your base and three wide isn't your base, <coughs> you may be in the wrong decade. <coughs> um, excuse me. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, we can talk about big nickel and run pass options and certain things. But I, I, I think – 
in line with that, um, one of the things I love about going to the scouting company reader is talking to all the coaches about different schematic innovations, kind of transitions, where things are going. And I can't tell you how many coaches I talked to this, Febu- this last February who said the same thing over and over. Forget about scheme. It's a matchup league. And we've seen this with the Patriots and other teams where the play calls used to be, you know, 34 stat left, blah, 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 and it went on for 45 seconds. And now it's a very simple play call, and it's options for the quarterback based on what he sees the defense doing and what the particular matchups are. So you see more trips and bunch formations. Um, Adam Gase from Miami is very good at this, kind of playing the numbers game against defense. James Betcher of the Cardinals, conversely, is very good at overwhelming one side or the other of his defense to, uh, to counter an offense. But I think more and more, and the, I, the top 10 offensive schemes, I talked about the Patriots option routes, and that's just an if this, then that conjunction. It's, you know, if the cornerback's here, you go here. This isn't, this is your designed route and you must, it's not the West Coast offense thing of, this is your designed route, you cut at 12 yards, you stake at 15 yards, and the quarterback throws with anticipation when you're at your eight-yard point. More and more, I don't want to say schoolyard, but there's an element of randomness to the game that has come from that matchup philosophy on both sides of the ball. And I think that, that to me is the biggest trend change of even the last five years. You go back to like 2007 and what the NFL looked like then, it's a very, very different league, and it happened in a short time. Why, why is that? Is it just because coaches have just found new ways, or is there quarterbacks that, you know, you, we, we think about Brady and Manning changing things at the line of scrimmage, and, and they're and just their computer-like brains. What, what is it that's, like, led to this crazy change in, in such a short period of time overall? And when you're looking at the grand sort of history of the NFL, five years is not, very, not a very long time. I think it's uh, it's a lot of things. It's the, it's and the advent of the spread offense has been portrayed as a profound negative in the NFL. I think in some positions it can be, but it's also NFL coaches reaching out to college coaches. Bill Belichick and his relationship with Chip Kelly when Chip was at Oregon is a prime example. Mm-hmm. And what can I learn from these guys? And that's where the shorter play calls came from. That's where the run pass options came from. That's you know. Um, the option routes have been around in the NFL. Sid Gilman was doing them in the 1960s, but they're a far more prevalent aspect of the game now. And I think it's just coaches on both sides of the ball saying, how can we simplify the calls and make the possible, I mean, a, a good way to put it is you do fewer overall play calls, but you have more different options okay. in every play. Yep. And that stems from college to a point. I think the NFL just expanded on it. There we go. Uh, moving on to a more uh, team-specific question. Um, and, and these two teams, I think, are built quite similarly in terms of their personnel on offense, uh, in terms of, you know, they've, they've got similar talent at the quarterback position, very strong weapons, but obvious holes uh, along their offensive line. So can the Giants, can you see the Giants and Bengals overcoming you know, obvious offensive line deficiency this season because both have great sort of personnel on paper. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what I mean. I think the reason 
The Panthers drafted Christian McCaffrey so high was to overcome their own offensive line problems. I think the Bengals kind of thought the same thing with Joe Mixon, who would have been, in my mind, a top 30 pick were it not for all the, you know, yep. disgusting crap he's done. Um, I'm a little, hmm. you know, it was I, I can't remember who did it, so I'm sorry to who came out with it, but somebody came out in the last week with the fact that the Giants ran 11 personnel more than any other team in the league. Very static personnel. Uh, and the Packers are like this too, but the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Giants, I mean, it, it's not, it's kind of a levels passing game. There are different elements to it, but I'm not, when I look at the Giants, especially Eli Manning in the last couple of years, well, his arm strength has really gone down. I'm not always sure that the Giants are scheming to their quarterback's best advantage. Um, I have a little more confidence in what the Bengals are doing. But in both cases, I mean, the Bengals have lost a lot of talent in the offensive line, and they've drafted high, too. So yep. if, if they can't turn that around, I mean, it, I think it's, it's problematic in both cases. And having watched the construction of the Seahawks since 2010 under Pete Carroll and John Schneider, I can tell you that this is a team that feels it can get away with an offensive line that they spent pennies on. Uh, relative to other teams because they have a transcendent player in Russell Wilson. Yep. The problem with that is you're betting on the exception. You're making the exception the rule. And I think in the case of the Giants and the Bengals, you know, how do you overcome how that's going to work for them? Yeah, we just briefly lost you for a split second. I think uh, it froze a little bit. So are you able to just backtrack like oh. 10 seconds and re-say that? Sorry. Oh, yeah. I, um, I, I just think overall the general rule is uh, if you have big holes on your offensive line and you don't have remarkable players in other positions, you're just you're going to run into trouble. And I see that with both of those teams. Yep. Perfect. Uh, you recently wrote a piece about Carson Wentz mechanics and his mental progress after his rookie season. Uh, what's the realistic expectation for Wentz in year two? Because I feel like the bar has been set a little bit too high because he, he did have a, a, a relatively fast start to his NFL career, and it's sort of dried up ever since. And I feel like expectations on, on social media and and across across the NFL sort of community, I feel like the, the bar may be set too high for Wentz's expectations in, in year two. You know, when I, I, I was still at Sports Illustrated when he came out. Um, I think I was. Anyway, it's all a blur now. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Um, and my my NFL comparison for Wentz was Ben Roethlisberger, and I could see their careers going very. Because you remember, and it's funny. I just bought the Bruce Arians book, The Quarterback Whisperer, that he did with Lars Anderson, and oh my god, it's amazing. I want Bruce Arians to be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bruce Arians, so um, I'll have to uh, I'll have to purchase this book. Yeah, but if you go back and look at Roethlisberger, I mean, he started in 2004 because Tommy Maddox got hurt. They didn't want him to start. 2005, they won the Super Bowl, but he was the lowest-rated quarterback in any Super Bowl, I believe, regardless of whether the team won or lost. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 2007, which was his fourth year in the league, that he really became the force multiplier of that offense. And they, you know, they won that second Super Bowl, and then they had become a passing team. And I think it's kind of the same with Wentz, where you have a big guy, very mobile, can throw to any level, 
He reminds me a lot physically of Roethlisberger, both from smaller colleges. They haven't faced these types of defenses before. Yep. I think with Wentz, he's got all the tools to be successful. And now they have better receivers. Hopefully their offensive line will be a little more set. Um, so he has some things working against him. But, you know, I think he's going to be good to above average this year. But this is, you know, not everyone's going to be Andrew Luck. Not everyone's going to be Russell Wilson. Um, this takes time. And I think in his case, it could be year three or four before you see him in his full NFL potential. Do you think the Philadelphia media are, are that patient enough? <laughs> uh, no. No. Uh, no. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's kind of where I was trying to sort of get to that realistic expectation because I feel like the Philadelphia media will have such high expectations for Wentz. And I don't think, no matter how how uh, you know improved he is, it's still not going to reach that bar. And I, I could probably say the same about Jared Goff, uh, and you touched on him earlier. Obviously, you're going to see some improvement from Jared Goff. What can we realistically expect from him You know, under McVay? Like I said, I mean, he'll, he'll have more first read open options. McVay will make it easier for him. He'll shorten the playbook. He'll design route concepts in which he always has a hot route. He always has an escape. There's always an open receiver. Even if it's third and 13, and you throw to a guy four yards downfield, as long as you get a completion, as long as you start to build confidence for the quarterback. I mean, again, when I watch Goff at Cal, um, and people were saying Goff is better than Wentz, and I'm thinking, no. Uh, I think Goff still, he's got a lot to learn. Um, okay. But I think McVay will make it easier for him on all levels, and he'll at least start to get some confidence. But, you know, by, by no means have I seen anything that tells me that Jared Goff will be anything more, honestly, at this point, if he becomes more than a backup level guy, it's going to take a while. Okay, there we go. So just wait, a, be a little bit more patient, LA Rams fans. Uh, all right, the Cowboys, yeah. the Cowboys defense is in trouble, obviously, for various reasons in the first four weeks of the season. Um, this was a, a listener question. Uh, can you see them overcoming this and, and repeating as NFC champions uh, once again? Uh, I think they had a good defensive draft, and Rod Marinelli will do as much as any assistant coach in the NFL to maximize the talent he has. Um, and yep. by the way, when we're talking about quarterbacks in that draft class, when you watch that Prescott in the second half of the season, and this is really what Cowboys fans should be looking at, and the re- you know. People talk about Dak as a system quarterback. He, you know, had the best offensive line. He had the best receivers, blah, blah, blah. Watch the tape. Watch the way he has developed his arc, um, his timing, his different levels of velocity to different receivers and different route concepts. They opened up the offense in the second half of the season. And I think Dak Prescott, this guy, very Russell Wilson-esque, mm-hmm. came in and they sort of spoon-fed him at first. It didn't take long before this guy, I believe in the second half of the season into the playoffs, he threw 17 touchdowns and three picks and had a higher passer rating than anyone but Matt Ryan. He had a higher passer rating in the second half of the season than Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Yeah. We're talking about quarterbacks in that, that draft class. Take the system out of it. You isolate the quarterback. I think Dak Prescott is by far, he has developed, far beyond Wentz and in a different universe than Goff. 
it's and and it's crazy when you think about it. Like they, these two quarterbacks sort of went one and two, and were getting all these crazy comparisons. And it's the guy that that Dallas tried to get three or four different guys before finally picking Dak. That's that's eventually become the guy that's developed the most. It's it's hard to did anyone see that coming out of Dak? It, it's it's still baffles me. You know, it's it's and it's scouting. It's just the way scouting is. It's still still baffles me that some of these players still end up like going so low in the draft like and same with Brady like it's just it's still crazy to this day when you think about it the only guy that I talked to in the media who was really on the Dak Prescott train was Greg Hosell also of NFL Films and of course we're all familiar with Greg yep Um, he was the only guy that said, yeah, this he's he. I think Greg said about you know before he was drafted, this will be the best quarterback in the class. I thought he played a little slow in that offense, um, but you know clearly he's he's the development has been crazy good, been phenomenal. Uh, all right, so we've got some uh, speed round questions, sort of uh, little short one word answers to just finish up. And I'm very thankful for your time uh, with us and and yep. sharing your knowledge with us. It's been fantastic. Uh, who do you think will be the first NFL coach fired this season? Oh, wow. Looking through the teams. Probably John Fox, and it won't be his fault. No, and that was an, another phenomenal storyline out of draft day in terms of the team picking over him because they didn't trust him at all. That's never a good start to to an NFL career and Mitchell Trubisky being in that situation. How do you think he can handle all of that? Oh, well, put it this way. I don't. I think it's entirely possible that none of the guys Chicago drafted will be able to really start in their first season. Oh boy, that's not good. No, not not a good draft no. at all. <laughs> uh, not a, not a good not a good situation. Period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, heading into the season, uh, what teams do you think uh, will finish the year with sort of the best offense and best defense in the NFL? I know there's so many ways to measure. The best, though, but who do you see? Uh, obviously, we have talked about the Patriots, but who do you see maybe as the, as the team finishing with that, that best defense in the NFL, the most feared defense in the NFL? Uh, yeah, Patriots, best offense, no question. Best defense? You know, I might go with Atlanta. You look at their last three defensive drafts, and it's uh, over the last 20 to 25 years, I, I think it would be hard to get that much talent in three drafts. I mean, they, they had four rookies start in the Super Bowl on defense, which has never happened before. Yep. So I think the Falcons, they're going to regress on offense. That defense coached by Dan Quinn could be the NFL's best. Yeah, and we mentioned sort of getting pressure inside, and, and, and your guy, uh, I've just gone completely blank on the name. Now, uh, the defensive... Grady Jarrett. Grady Talk about J- a guy who was drafted far. I And I asked him at media day, I'm like, how the hell did you last until the fifth round? He's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know either. I, I had him as like a high second round guy, yeah. and whatever. Yeah, I, I loved Grady Jarrett, and I really enjoyed your your uh, analysis and, and predictions of him having a, a game of his life in the Super Bowl, and you absolutely nailed it. Which, yeah. Yep. Uh, June, July. It, was, it, was, it wasn't his fault, put it that way. No, exactly. Uh, June, July, and August are when teams. Uh, Get a lot of buzz. Is there a team on the rise that you believe or a team that's getting a buzz that you believe in the most and one you think maybe the hype's a little bit overdone and maybe they're still a year away? Um, I think the Titans hype is legit. That that could be a 
10 or 11 win team. Uh, it, it's a pretty easy division to win. Um, <laughs> when I look at hype, um, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't, <laughs> so, okay. I mean, you could look, I, I don't know about a team that's like overhyped because I don't really pay attention to that. Yep. So I, I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, I'm just glad that, uh, you know, we're getting, uh, you think the Titans are, are legit because I feel like the Jags got all this hype last year and that didn't that didn't end well. But you know we're talking about a totally different beast in Marcus Mariota as opposed to Blake Bortles. Well, they keep. I mean, I know guys in the Jaguars organization that and they're smart. They're trying hard. They keep drafting a lot of good players. Jalen Ramsey to me is the next Charles Woodson. He could be that good. But until you switch that quarterback, it, it, none of it matters. It, it, it's it's so. They had many chances to 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 take a different quarterback in this draft that's just gone, and for them not to to take it, I know, I know they don't want to invest too early in one. But like, what's the harm in doing that? If if Bortles does improve, it's a good problem to have having too many quarterbacks. Yeah, well, I mean, look, Texans last year maybe had the best defense in the NFL at certain stretches. They certainly gave Tom Brady the most trouble. And they had that garbage fire at quarterback. Um, maybe Deshaun Watson can help them there. But, I mean, the way the NFL is now, if you don't have that quarterback, you're done. Yep. Uh, and speaking of Deshaun Watson, uh, what rookies do you think could have a big impact for their team, you know, this season? Mm, I think Mike Williams in, I'm going to say San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yep. Um, Philip Rivers is an inconsistent quarterback to say the least a uh, high pick rate. There was no receiver in this draft by far with a better catch radius than Mike Williams. That guy could catch anything. Um, I think he's going to be a big deal there. Very interested to see what Christian McCaffrey does. Um, looking down the list here. Oh, Malik Hooker. The Colts got Malik Hooker. That's going to be huge for their defense. That's a that's a major dude. Right I'm fist there. pumping right now um, as a Colts fan. I'm fist pumping. Yeah, it, he's he's amazing. And then one guy I wanted to mention, and I, I, there were questions about his effort, but I didn't see that on tape. And the fact that the Seahawks got Malik McDowell oh. with 35th overall pick Steel. in that front four. Imagine a NASCAR package with Frank Clark, Malik McDowell, Michael Bennett, and Cliff Averill. Good luck. <laughs> McDowell, 6'6", 290, can play everywhere legitimately from nose to end. And I've said this before. There are three collegiate defensive linemen I've seen that can win at every gap, and that was Melvin Ingram, um, Dominic Easley before he unfortunately got hurt at yep. Florida and this guy. And he's just he's just gonna he's gonna destroy things in that defense. Yeah, and even if those like uh effort things are legit and I don't and I agree with you, I don't think like I, I didn't I, I I watched game after game after game because I was looking for it and he was yeah. kind of my draft crush. And yeah. I never saw it. Yeah, it and it, but in that locker room, you, you can't get away with doing that anyway. They just won't let you. Like so, it's the perfect. Oh no, no, no! I've, I've been in that locker room enough to tell you, man. If you come in and you're bullcrapping your way through stuff, and you're not giving your all, that it, there's an alpha at every locker, and yep. you get killed. Yeah. So <laughs> if they draft a guy, they have to know that he can withstand the locker room, and that's a team where the emotional sort of trauma of dealing with those personalities, by the time you get on the field to face the opponent, it's almost a relief. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, speaking of all or nothing, a Seattle a look inside the Seattle locker room would be uh, it would be fantastic viewing. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Is it, it, you yeah, talk about the... Earl Thomas, It's funny because Earl Thomas is the real sort of thought leader of the whole defense, and he's the quietest guy. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. He seems like the quietest guy when you look at the personalities around him. Is is the the top alpha really? Is it is it Cam Chancellor or is it Richard Sherman or is it Michael Bennett? Who, who no, is? I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, Sweet. In December of 2015, and I had been nagging Richard for like six months. I wanted to watch tape with him because I do these things where I watch tape with players. Yep. And I bugged him all season, and finally I just wore him to a nub, and he said, okay. So I talked to the team's PR staff, and they said, okay, you can meet Richard here on this certain day, and we'll go into the defensive backs room, and you have 15 minutes. And it was a great piece. But we walked into the defensive backs room, and there's Earl all by himself, and he's watching tape and eating lunch, and he doesn't even look up. And Sherman says, Oh, we were going to watch tape in here. Earl looks up and said, what you doing? And Sherman said, we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> and that's when I knew, like, okay, wow. I, I, know, I, know, I know who the biggest lion is. Wow. <laughs> that's yeah. a fantastic even, story. Even Sherman, even Sherman is like, okay. And, I, I mean, other guys have told me. Um, Marshawn, when he was there, he was the guy, and Earl has always – they respect him so much because he's played through so many injuries at such a high level. And he just, he never allows himself to fail. And sometimes I think it makes it hard for him internally, but that's just how he is. Yeah. As someone that's been around the team and, and, and obviously spoken to Sherman, how do you think he will react to, to what's been a, a strange sort of off season for him with his name in, in drag through some storylines and, some trade speculation and whatnot. How do you, how do you think he will react to, to all of that? You know, he's, he's one of the smartest players I've ever talked to. And some, another one of the smartest players I've ever talked to is Warren Sapp. And we all know that Warren Sapp can shoot his mouth off too. When Richard Sherman is between the lines, when he's on the field, I think he's quite good at letting the distractions slide, you know? So I think he'll be present when he needs to be present any other time, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Uh, all right, last sort of question for you. Of all the second-year players, uh, who do you think's primed for for a breakout campaign? Second-year players. Let me look here. I think Jalen Ramsey was really good in his first season. I think this is the year he takes a step and becomes a top three cornerback in the NFL. Wow. Two or three years from now, it won't be Patrick Peterson and Richard Sherman you're you're talking about. It'll be Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey. He'll be the best cornerback in the league before all is said and done. Wow. Uh, And and it'll be sooner than later. That guy is just – he's in Jacksonville. No one talks about him. That guy is a viciously good defender. I mean, when you're calling out Steve Smith in your your third game, you know someone's uh, got the mentality to be a corner. Yeah. Yeah. That's he's that guy. Perfect. I got one last listener question. Someone wanted to ask you about sort of Colin Kaepernick and and do you think he'll he'll land a, a spot with a team or or will the uh, or will it continue to be sort of teams just ignoring uh, obvious talent for for various reasons? I would be. 
I've been wrong about this so far. I didn't think it would go this far. I didn't think it would be this bad. I I didn't think the collusion would be so obvious. And the statement made to other players, you know, step in line or or this could happen to you. Mm -hmm. If a team in playoff contention with an offense that would fit what he does doesn't sign him if there's an injury to their quarterback, then we know the game is fixed. And, you know, Kaepernick can do it. Would I be surprised if his career was over for all the wrong reasons? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think it's disgusting. I think a guy who threw 16 touchdowns and four picks in a garbage fire offense that had no business being on an NFL field should have a chance. And were it not for protests that he spoke about eloquently and had good reasons for, whether you agree with them or not, that that's the reason he's not playing in the league. And I can't think of any other reason when you look at the tape that's just wrong. That's plain wrong. That's, you know, in other years I may have said this is not America, but, you know, <laughs> I'll end with another political statement. We're not quite sure what America is right now. I, and what I like about Colin right now is I don't think he cares about the black ball. Obviously, deep down, he, he wishes that he's probably on a team, but he's just still going about doing all the good work that he's been doing uh, for the last sort of 18 months. He's continually just helping people out and just not showing signs of letting this affect him whatsoever and showing that it's not going to affect him or change his behavior, which is what I really respect um, because I just think, like, you know, with all this going on, everyone's talking about it. Colin's just still not – he's just not – he just keeps going about his business. Uh, Are you familiar with Kurt Flood? Uh, No. Okay. He was the baseball player in the 1960s. I'll make this short. Yep. Uh, Played for the St. Louis Cardinals, was traded to the Phillies, and back then, there was no such thing as free agency. Yep. Team had control of a player throughout his entire career. Kurt Flood took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. He lost the case. He lost his career. He was a pariah because he was the first one to stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years later, <clears throat> free agency uh, came into effect through arbitration, and Kurt Flood earned billions of dollars for other players, never saw a dime of it himself, it really affected him negatively. It took a long time for him to sort of make peace with it. And it's, you know, as familiar as I am with that story, to watch Kaepernick and the way he's handling it is really good to see. Yeah, I just uh, I just Googled Kurt Flood and I'm um, just reading it, seeing it now. I might uh, do some reading on, on that topic. And, you know, on Kaepernick, like how much, how many more wins a year would, would the Jaguars get if they had Colin Kaepernick at quarterback rather than Blake Bortles? Uh, <laughs> how many more wins would the Jets have? Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, that could be the difference. You talk about the Jaguars in the AFC South, where every year it's a crapshoot. That might be the difference between making the playoffs and not. Yep. You just never know. So it's you know the Texans with Colin Kaepernick. Even if you have Watson, I mean, think you know somewhat similar quarterback. Yep. Um, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you at least think to yourself, this guy, you know, again, who threw 16 touchdowns and four picks in the worst offense in the NFL? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of speaks for itself, unfortunately. Yeah, it is uh, it is crazy. Unfortunately, the Jets don't want to win football games, so uh, they won't be calling Colin Kaepernick at all. Apparently not. Well, they have a guy who uh, decided that Sheldon Richardson was an outside linebacker last year, so I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Perfect. I think we'll uh, end on that note, Doug. I I really appreciate uh, all the knowledge and uh, 
all the answers that you've given us today and the listeners for some of their questions as well. And uh, be sure to check out NFL 1000 in year two. Uh, Doug's hinted at uh, that I have some changes in store for us this season. It was a, a fantastic uh, rookie season from the NFL 1000 team. So I think they're going to step up in a big, uh, big spot. Uh, anything you want to plug before we let you go? And, and thanks again for joining us. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I got a piece on Mike Gillisley coming out tomorrow that will make Bill fans very depressed. <laughs> um, a bunch of tape pieces in the month leading up to the NFL 1000 starting again, and then we're uh, just going whole hog on that project all season. Yeah, and one last thing on Gillisley, like when the Patriots are offering picks for a player, don't you think you should value or reassess how you look at your, your players? You mean should you put a second round tender instead of a fifth? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I just think that's such such a. They have a history with that. Yeah, and it's not just that everyone goes to the Patriots and becomes better. When can you think of a time when a guy went from the Patriots to another team and didn't get worse? Yeah, exactly. Like so even even some yeah. of their assistant coaches do the same thing when they leave. Uh, they leave New England. Yeah, and then like the Daniels, they run back to home and and they're in better shape. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll leave uh, on the. Well, when you write team the right way, that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, one one last. Co- I know. I keep doing this, but if if coaches could win the MVP, how many MVPs would Bill Belichick have? Uh, twelve. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Thirteen. <good. laughs> I think we'll end on the note that Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is a. They guy. went what eleven and five with Matt Castle as their quarterback in two thousand eight. <laughs> he should have been awarded the entire franchise at that point. <laughs> just, just given, just given, you know, the NFC West as, as just for fun. I've always said that I'd, sure. I'd like to see uh, Brady traded to the Browns and and uh, Brissett playing just to make the AFC fun because it's just going to be too predictable with the Patriots. But uh, we've got to enjoy watching Belichick be the, be the master. Yes, indeed. Thanks again, Doug, and uh, be sure to check out NFL 1000 and follow Doug on Twitter at BR underscore Doug Farrar, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. My pleasure. Take care. Huge thanks to Doug Farrar for joining the show. I really enjoyed chatting with him, and and I learned a lot from that chat, Um, and not even just football stuff, just baseball things as well that he mentioned and some references that I'll be reading up for for the rest of the day while I watch uh, Peyton Manning just hit it out of the park at the ESPYs. He's going to be... It's going to be a fantastic host. Uh, I think he'll be the, the GOAT host of the ESPYs, just like he's the GOAT uh, of the NFL. Um, I know many of you don't agree with me there and will come at me for that comment, but um, fight me in the street. I don't care. And uh, big thanks to Doug, and you can follow him on Twitter at BR underscore Doug Farrar. And uh, please check out the NFL 1000 on Bleach Report. They've got uh, some surprises lined up for us uh, in 2017. That wraps up the show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Wooten Y and listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, and on uh, hopefully Spotify soon, but iHeartRadio as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at JYNFL. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>